Hello and welcome to the Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. And me, Ben Hughes. We are the co-founders of Trinity Transformation and creators of the Fit Over 40 method. And together with our world-class coaching team, we've helped more than 6,000 women over 40 to fit back into their favourite clothes over the past decade. To find out more about what we do, go to www.fit40info.com. So in today's episode, we're going to reveal seven breakfasts to avoid specifically for women over 40. So sit back and relax and welcome to today's podcast. So as you'll know, Rob, a common question we get asked about how to lose weight over 40 is, what is the best thing to eat for breakfast to lose weight as a woman over 40? Now, we've worked with so many women in their 40s and 50s who felt completely stuck because they didn't know which breakfast would set them up to get the scales moving and see amazing results, or even whether they should have breakfast at all. So they'd eat what they thought were healthy things, all of the kind of normal breakfast options, but then step on the scales at the end of the week and find that they see an absolutely zero movement, or maybe they're even heavier than before. And when you're not seeing results from whatever you're doing, it's very hard to stay motivated. And that's why a lot of women end up giving up, leaving them stuck unable to get their weight under control, choosing their clothes to cover up problem areas rather than wearing the things they like, hating shopping for clothes because nothing fits quite right anymore, especially in the more trendy shops, and staring at a wardrobe full of amazing clothes they can no longer wear, and ultimately just worrying that this is a part of the aging process that they're just going to have to accept. But the reason this happens is quite simple. So women's bodies and hormones start to change as they get older, which makes it easier to gain weight, especially around the middle area and harder to lose it again with the normal methods of dieting. But when you know the best foods to eat for all of your meals, including breakfast, foods which will definitely work for women over 40, you can quickly and easily get the scales moving and drop as much as two stone in as little as 12 weeks. So in today's podcast, we have got seven breakfast foods that we're going to reveal which you need to avoid as a woman over 40 and we'll let you know what to have instead if you want to achieve your fitness goals so before we're going to get into the specific foods i want to just cover the kind of basic principles that you need to bear in mind as we go through these because there's a couple of things that if you understand as a woman in your 40s and 50s or around menopause is going to get you way better results so the first of these is to avoid hormone disrupting foods so these are foods that will make you feel worse around menopause that will also your body won't respond so well to them um they're very high in calories as well they're basically things that if you include them regularly in your diet you're not going to see very good results so these foods are what we call the wads foods so wheat alcohol dairy and sugar now hopefully not having alcohol at breakfast but the other ones we are going to really have to consider the second thing we really want to think about is getting the right nutrients in the right quantities and a lot of people can become very focused on just one thing let's say calories or carbs we don't want to have carbs because carbs are bad the reality is it's about neither of those it's about getting the right balance of what we call the key three so calories protein and fiber not just calories so it's not just about having less calories about having the right balance of those three and this will be unique and specific to you but we'll go through advice that apply to everyone today and most breakfast foods are way too low in either protein or fiber. They might not actually be that high in calories, but they don't set you up for the rest of the day. They set you up to actually fail for the rest of the day in, in terms of how you feel as well. So ideally, what you actually want to do is combine food groups. You want to have um, minimally processed food with a little bit of healthy fats, a little bit of um, healthy carbohydrate, and then lots of protein. 
And this will mean the food digests very slowly. You'll avoid blood sugar spikes that kind of give you energy crashes. Um, and that also leads you being really, really hungry. And then having that 11s is and then, you know, eating way too much then as well. And for the rest of the day. So we're going to focus on foods that will keep you fullest for the longest. And this is all part of an approach we call hormonally balanced eating inside our Fit Over 40 program. But what I want to do today is actually to get into the practical steps. So we're going to go through what the best foods are, but we're going to start with what the worst foods are, because if you don't know what to avoid, you may be falling into one of these traps all too often, and they should not be staples. It's not that you should never have them, but we don't want them to be staples. So Ben, what's what's the first breakfast food that you think women over 40 should be avoiding if they want to see good results and feel good? So we'll start with kind of the big one, the big kind of main breakfast food, the one that you'll see most advertised uh, everywhere you look, which would be cereal. So cereal falls into the UPF category. So UPF, ultra processed food, it's something that's been, um, I've seen a few articles and things about it recently about how it's it's just generally not very good for you health-wise. So an ultra processed food can be defined as anything that you can't really replicate in the kitchen at home. Like if you tried, for example, to make like crunchy nut corn flakes or something like that yourself, you're probably not going to be able to make the exact thing that you would buy in the shop. So when you eat these ultra processed foods, the body doesn't really register it as food. So even though you've eaten food, your hunger hormones will continue to stay elevated. So you'll eat a bowl of cereal, but you won't necessarily feel full or satisfied. You might have like, when you eat these foods, you can get a feeling of fullness in your stomach, but it's more from like the quantity of food that you've put into your stomach rather than um, your your actual hormonal sig signals triggering and making you think, you know, well, you don't need to eat any more food. And a good analogy of this, it's kind of like putting a fake pound coin into a vending machine. Sometimes you get a pound coin and it doesn't, it just doesn't quite work. You put it into the vending machine or you put it into whatever it is, parking meter, it just keeps coming around, coming out of the rejected coin slot again and again and again. And no matter how many times you put that pound coin in, it doesn't register. It's, it, it doesn't get recognized as being a real thing. So when you're eating these ultra, ultra processed foods, things like cereal, doesn't matter how much of them you eat, it's not really going to register and you're still, you know, a very short time afterwards you're still going to continue to be hungry and it's almost designed to be that way it's designed so that you'll eat more and more and more because i mean if you're thinking of let's say we were a, a cereal company and we're trying to make a food and we're trying to like sell as ultimately you're trying to sell as much cereal as possible so if we can design something that people will eat and they'll keep eating more and more and more and more then you're going to sell more of it because you're going to have to keep going back to the shop and keep buying more of that product so what is it then that actually, so we understand it's ultra processed, you're going to have to buy more, but what is it within the nutritional makeup that makes it such an unhealthy choice, do you think? So I think the main thing to focus on, I think, you know, if you're looking at thinking about any food and you're thinking, is this a good choice or not? One of the first things to look at would be the content of sugar in that food. Now, the best way to look at this is if you turn, turn whatever food you're looking at, turn it around, have a look at the back of the packet of food and look at the per 100 grams amount, because that allows you to compare directly one food to another. So for example, something like crunchy uh, cornflakes, which is, uh, if I had to say, what was my favorite cereal? I don't, I have this probably once a year. Like I really, it's not a staple of my diet at all. And we'll get onto it in a minute, you know, what breakfast foods should be a staple that you should have every single day. But crunchy nut cornflakes, for example, 30, 35 grams of sugar per 100 grams. So more than the third of 
the food in that in that box is sugar. So if you took, for example, imagine you take the crunchy nut cornflakes, you pour out the weight of those, in, you pour out that into a bowl, and then just look at it and look at like a third of that is just pure sugar, essentially. And 35 grams of sugar per 100 grams is actually the same as a bar of dairy milk chocolate. And I mean, you've got to think if you if you wouldn't have dairy milk chocolate for your breakfast in the morning, then you probably also shouldn't have crunchy nut because they, they're kind of equivalent in terms of their sugar content. Now, there are other cereals which are slightly better. So things like Special K, for example, which is marketed as being a bit of a, a uh, healthier thing, which is slightly lower in sugar. But the problem with all these cereals is they're still just one food group, essentially. They're, they're pure carbs. So they're, they're pretty much made up of carbs. They're made up of sugar and then whatever other carb they've used to make that, whether it's corn or wheat or whatever they've used to make the cereal. So again, you have to eat absolutely loads of these to feel remotely full. And the problem with that as well is like the portion size on cereal, if you ever look at it, it's like 30 grams. And you put if you ever weigh that amount out, it's such a small portion. Nobody ever really eats the actual portion size of these things. Um, if you weigh out the portion you'd actually have, it's probably two portions, essentially. So you can end up taking in quite a lot of calories just from these foods alone. And then as well as things like, you know, the, the obvious ones, I'd say probably the uh, your standard Kellogg's cereals that tend to be the, <laughs> the the least healthy ones, I would say. But then there are other options on the market which are marketed as being healthier. Things like, you know, granola, muesli, that type of thing. So, Rob, where do you think those sorts of choices fall into things? Yeah, I think it's a good point to say you mentioned the marketing, right? These foods are often marketed to certain people. So granola, I'd say, is a more premium product that's marketed to people who might buy more premium things. So they try and make it look like a really healthy choice for you and your family. But the problem is actually granola is not quite as processed as certain cereals. You probably could make that at home. So we talked about ultra-processed ultra food being something you can't make in your kitchen. If someone just gave you pure wheat or pure corn and said, make a cornflake from that, you don't really have a hope in hell of doing that. You might be able to make granola, granola from oats, from dried fruit, mix it with a bit of honey. I've actually done this um, with some, some butter or something like that, and then you bake it. But the problem is that makes it really high calories because you're basically mixing pure carbs, like the oats or whatever's make it up with, with oil, which is one of the most calorie-dense things there are. Our cars run on, well, if you have a don't have an electric car, run on oil because it's very, very energy dense. So it's pure fat. And then you're also adding a load of sugar for flavor as well to give it that nice crunch, that oil, that sugar baked in the oven gives it that delicious granola crunch. And I love granola, but the problem is this makes it really high in calories. So I had a client, um, I still remember a couple of years ago, who one of the things we'll do inside our program is get people to, to track what they're eating. We don't call it calorie counting. It's a little bit different to that, but we get them to track what they're eating to learn about the impact of what they're having. And she tracked her bowl of granola and she was horrified to realize that this healthy looking branded granola that she thought was really good for herself was about half of her daily calorie goal in her breakfast alone. So it was about 750 calories in a bowl of granola because the serving size they suggest when they give you those traffic light systems is absolutely tiny. And the other issue with things like granola, same with cereal, is it's really low in protein again. And if anything's low in protein, it won't be very filling. Um, even if it has some fiber added in, it's still not going to be that filling if you don't have that protein on there because it's just really unbalanced. You're just eating all carbs again, maybe with a bit of fat added in there as well. So that kind of covers granola and cereal. Um, and a lot of cereals are wheat-based, 
I know granola isn't, but a lot of cereals are kind of a wheat-based product. What what about other wheat-based breakfasts, Ben? Like I know you kind of have some really good insights on wheat. What do you think about things like toast, for example? So yeah, I'd say toast would probably be after cereal is going to be your, your second most popular quick and easy breakfast choice. I mean, the the benefit of both of these things, um, I would say, is they are very, very easy, very, very quick. I make a piece of toast. How long does that take? A minute, two minutes? Making a bowl of cereal, even less, 30 seconds, and you've made it. Um, and I think these have all been kind of designed for convenience rather than to actually be, you know, if you ask what is the best possible nutritional choice you could make, it's going to be neither of these things. But toast in general, so bread, it's very, very processed, even brown bread. So if I gave you, as you said before, Rob, like if I gave someone a big handful of like wheat that I've just cut out of the field and said, right, make make a piece of white bread out of that, make like the, make a piece of Hovis, uh, you know, whatever, granary white or something, make that out of these random bits of wheat. You couldn't do it. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to make the flour from the wheat in the kitchen. I mean, even the old way they used to do it, you'd have like, a, I've, I've been to, you know, you go to those castles or something where they show you like, this is how they used to make the bread. And they've got like a big mill house thing with like two stones that grind all the wheat together. And they'd like, you know, have horses like spinning it around and stuff like that. Even the old school way was a huge amount of effort. And these days I'll just do it with, you know, machinery and things like that. But again, similar to cereal, the new pr nutritional profile of bread is almost all carbs. Um, then the, all the toppings you generally would put on toast as well are often going to be carbs as well. So if you were to have jam, that's all sugar, marmalade, all sugar. Um, and what that results in is you're having this massive intake of carbs for your breakfast at the start of the day, which gives you a big blood sugar spike and then a big blood sugar crash shortly afterwards. So even if you have your breakfast before you leave for work, you have this big carb-filled breakfast, cereal, toast, etc. You might get to kind of 11 a.m. just before lunchtime and you'll be feeling starving hungry again. And you'll be tempted to, I mean, if you're going into an office environment, for example, we've all been there. You get to the office environment. Somebody's brought in a tray of muffins or biscuits or something. They're like, oh, does anyone want one of these? And, you know, you get to 11 a.m. You're starving because you've had the wrong breakfast choice. And then you end up giving in and you have a load of extra calories, which, again, all of those those office snacks are all going to be more carbs so you're just basically surviving on carbs you're riding this sugar roller coaster of getting this sugar spike sugar crash hunger cravings coming in constantly so ultimately toast it's very similar to cereal in its in its nutritional makeup it is purely carbs granola as well purely carbs all of these things seem to have that issue that they are just purely carbs so toast again not a great choice but what about things like pastries so i think most people listening probably know i speak to lots of clients they go i know i shouldn't have this every single day whether it's something from costa or uh, a croissant or you know an almond croissant something like this or a chocolate twist so we probably know why but to a certain degree that these things are not that healthy but again if we go into the the nutritional makeup of them, the pastry is essentially flour but it's usually then combined with some sort of really high fat thing as well so we have like all butter croissants maybe butter some of the cheaper ones are not made with butter but maybe like a vegetable oil based butter substitute which is really bad for you um but all of this what it really means is you're actually ramping the calories up even more because you're adding in all of this fat which is very highly calorie dense and there's nothing wrong with having a bit of healthy fat we'll come on to that but in this combination of that really processed flour combined with the fat it's very palatable it's really delicious i love pastries 
love a croissant with more butter added onto it. But if we're having this as a staple, like multiple times a week or even multiple times a month, really it should be safe for special occasions because it has no protein in it. It's not really filling and it's going to be really, really high in calories. And because it's from this really ultra processed um, flour again, um, then what will usually, you know, if you had that many calories from something that was a healthy source, you'd be very full. But from this croissant, barely touch the sides and then you're going to want something else again, like Ben was just saying. So we've covered a lot of wheat-based things, but there's one more wheat-based breakfast that I want to touch on because anyone who's a long-time listener will know I kind of have a personal vendetta against biscuits. So what do you think about, I'm not going to answer this one. <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you, Ben. So what do you think about breakfast biscuits, things like Velveeta? Yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's a number of things out there you'll see which are like Belvita. Again, it's all about um, the way they do the packaging as well. So I mean, you'll you see the packaging of these things, and they've got you know healthy healthy in inverted commas sheaths of like wheat coming through it, and like fruit and all sorts of stuff on there to try and make it look healthy. Probably says high fiber on the outside of the packet as well. Um, but the reality is these these biscuits like Belvita, other breakfast biscuits, are almost pure carbs again. They do add in a little bit of fiber to try and make them slightly healthier, which will make it will make them slightly better. But ultimately, again, if we gave you the raw ingredients, wheat, etc., you couldn't make Belvita biscuits in your kitchen. It, it wouldn't really work. Um, the other thing is to consider as well is they're actually almost worse than eating digestive biscuits in terms of their sugar content. So we had a little look up. Well, Belvita biscuits are actually 20 grams of sugar per 100 grams. Um, it's interesting, though, that, that that's actually lower than the cereal. So sugar-wise, it, it's probably it's better to eat the biscuits than it is to eat the cereal. So that that's kind of, if that isn't enough to put you off sugary breakfast cereal, I don't know what is. But digestive biscuits are only 15 grams of sugar per 100 grams. So Belvita biscuits, marketed as being healthy breakfast biscuits, have more sugar in than the digestive biscuits that you might have with your cup of tea yeah and let's be honest like most people know they probably shouldn't be eating a, lo a load of digestive biscuits for breakfast i think if you're listening to this you probably are not doing that anyway or at least no you shouldn't be doing that so obviously we kind of know that but what what else so we kind of know that digestives are going to be bad but what else makes these breakfast biscuits particularly bad do you think so again very similar to a lot of these other choices are another source of ultra processed foods um, they're very low in protein, very low in nutrients. They're not going to fill you up. They're going to make you hungry again very shortly afterwards. Um, so I think overall, you know, we've covered wheat-based products. So toast, cereals, granola, uh, breakfast biscuits, etc. All of those things, they're not going to be ideal. They're basically all something to avoid if you want to lose weight, if you want to feel good as a woman over 40. Now, another option we've got, though, is a lot of people, they see yogurt as kind of a healthy breakfast option. So Rob, what would you, what's your kind of opinion on that? What would you say about that? The yogurt is a bit of a divisive one. We did a social media post recently about um, the similar topic to this, like breakfast foods to avoid. And we mentioned yogurt in it. Now you don't have much time in a social media post to go into the depth about it, which is why we do the podcast. But a lot of people got upset because they were having yogurt for breakfast and they thought they were making a healthy choice. And the reality is some yogurts are going to be much better than others. It's like most food. There's actually a wide range. If we just say yogurt is bad, that's not enough detail. So a lot of yogurts are really high in carbs, pretty high in sugar, especially flavored ones, very high in sugar and very low in protein. And it means they're not very filling and you'll be hungry again very soon, but they appear to be healthy. So just like you said, Ben, with the breakfast biscuits, I remember at university, so just 
12 years ago, something like that. In first year before we started getting into fitness, learning about nutrition, I would have an entire Onken. I think they still make that yogurt, Onken yogurt to myself pretty much every day, like a big one, which sounds awful. I'd also fall into the next trap we're going to talk about. And um, I thought that was a healthy choice because on the packet, it was like nice colors. It had like these wheat sheaths again on it. It had all these berries like splashing into it. I thought that must mean it's really good. And I'd grown up being taught that having a yogurt was a really good, healthy thing as a child. What I didn't realize was actually I was just eating this really sugary snack, essentially, that's not far off just having a dessert for my breakfast. even if you add fruit in, it's still not great. So a lot of yogurts fall into that category. Uh, and even Greek style yogurt is one you need to watch out for because Greek style yogurt is not Greek yogurt, which is a better choice. Um, Greek style yogurt is still relatively low in proteins. If you look at the protein content, it's less than 10 grams per 100 mil per 100 grams. That's relatively low in protein. If it's 10 or more, that's a good place to start. Um, so Greek yogurt is a bit of an exception. I think this is where people kind of got upset on the social media. Because if you have proper Greek yogurt, not Greek style, um, or some other higher protein yogurt, that will actually fill you up for longer. So that can be a better choice if you tolerate dairy well. Now, I don't deal well with dairy, so I have to take either lactase or um, or finer yogurt, which has lactase in, which some of them do now. So if you look at the ingredients list, it says lactase. This is the enzyme that helps you to break down the, um, the lactose in the milk. So that's the sugar in the milk. So if you can deal with dairy well so you don't get any bloating you don't get any tiredness and a lot of people don't actually know about this and we help them figure this out on our program but if you don't get that stuff then a greek style yogurt high protein one will be okay the other one i would still avoid because you're essentially eating a really sugary dessert for breakfast your blood sugar levels are going to spike and crash like we talked about before and then you're going to be really hungry again so that just about covers it for food but what's the deal when it comes to drinks i know we've talked about breakfast foods to avoid but i actually think we've really got to cover drinks so what do you reckon are the kind of worst culprits when it comes to drinks so this is where you can almost get you know kind of a a a double whammy of unhealthy food because if you've already had you know you've you've set out to have your breakfast you've had your your healthy cereal you've had some yogurt on it you've had a couple of breakfast biscuits and then you come to your drink and then you have something like fruit juice again you look at the packet it's got you know orange juice it's got these segments of oranges on it and it says vitamin c and all of these things marketed on the outside of the packet the reality is that's going to be pure carbs. Fruit juice is very, very high in sugar. And all the stuff in fruit juice, which makes fruit digest slowly. So if you eat, for example, an orange, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fiber in there as well. So all of the all of the you know bits inside the segments that contain that juice, all of that fiber in there kind of reduces the rate at which that fruit digests. It helps you maintain healthy blood sugar levels. Like the fruit has been designed as a as a whole as a whole to be a sort of a healthy thing so if you just take the juice out which is just the sugary bits just the most delicious part of it um even even if you have the bits in there it's still basically like drinking you know like a fizzy drink or something it's just it's just absolutely packed with sugar which is why it's so tasty and so nice so for example tesco 100 pure squeezed orange juice uh, not from concentrate has 10 grams per 100 mil of sugar which is exactly the same as full sugar and coke and i mean if you're having a glass of orange juice um if you have like a, a half pint of it it's going to be about it's going to be almost 300 mil so you're having 30 grams of sugar in that which is absolutely low so if you have you know you're getting 30 grams of sugar from your orange juice let's say you've had to have a, you've had a double portion of your cornflakes because you've ignored the serving suggestion in the packet you've got another 20 grams of sugar there we're on 50 grams of sugar a couple of Belvita biscuits 
could be having, you know, 60 grams of sugar or so just in your breakfast, this massive sugar high again, and then this big crash in energy and big, uh, big increase in cravings that comes later in the day. Now, a lot of these drinks have been marketed as being healthy, basically due to them having, as I said, like vitamin C. Um, but there are lots of other foods which have way more vitamin C than orange juice. So peppers have almost three times as much vitamin C as oranges, for example. So, you know, that it's just a, you've really got to watch out for the way that these food companies advertise their foods. And I think breakfast foods are probably the worst culprits for like misleading advertising. If you go to, for example, you think you watch that for dinner and you think, you know, you might say, oh, I'll get some chicken, for example. Or even if you say, I'm going to get a ready meal, let's go for a slightly less healthy option. Let's say you get a ready meal and it's like a, you know, chicken tikka masala and rice ready meal or something. You don't get the chicken tikka masala. It doesn't say on the packet, like, you know, high in protein and X, Y, Z. And it hasn't got all these pictures of vegetables and stuff going in it. You just have a picture of a curry on the thing and it just says chicken curry as a ready meal. Whereas on the breakfast aisle, everything's got berries falling into it and, and vitamins all over it and stuff like that added fortified vitamins and minerals blah 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 high in fiber so i think with breakfast foods you've really got to watch out for that advertising and really got to get used to um kind of educating yourself and being able to kind of look at the back of those packets of food and figuring out you know what actually is this a good choice is this something that i should be having or is this some is there a better choice i could be making instead and we're going to get onto those good choices in a second. But as you said, it's, it's about this mindset that I think we've actually been conditioned, not out of choice, to think there's these special breakfast foods by my food industry, by my food industry, the food industry. Um, look, the breakfast cereal market, we had a look before we started um, speaking today, is valued at $36.5 billion in 2021. So it's very profitable. And I think they're capitalizing on the fact that there's all this rhetoric going round about breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Um, and if they know that's what people are thinking, then they're going to think I need to have a healthy breakfast. Maybe later on they let it go. So then if they see all this packaging with all this stuff on, then that's going to kind of call out to them. And I think there's so little education out there. Like I was brought up, I don't know if it's the same with you, Ben, I was brought up with like, you've got to have a healthy breakfast. So that's orange juice because we want to have vitamin C. Um, again, because my parents didn't know any better. They weren't educated about nutrition. They were just trying to do their best. And I think everyone's trying to do their best. So I thought, yeah, I've got to have that yogurt because it's got all that healthy stuff on it. It's got whatever it's saying. It's got probiotics or it's got this or that in it. Um, again, really appealing to that part of us that wants to have a healthy start to the day. So it's it's kind of, it, it's kind of pisses me off. <laughs> the, the, the breakfast market is, is kind of tapping into people and taking advantage of them. Um, because it's basically they can just churn this stuff out, whether it's cereal, whether it's um, yogurt, whether it's orange juice, they can make this very cheaply. They can really churn it out. So they have this really highly profitable market and they can get you hooked on it because you're going to have that same cereal, whether it's fruit fiber, special K for decades, and you'll be spending thousands of pounds on it or the same brand of orange juice. They'll get you hooked on that one, whether it's Innocent, whether it's Tesco, you know, whatever, which one it is. So it can be a pretty tricky thing to navigate um in terms of getting this right and i think i don't know what you think ben this is probably also stemmed from like working cultures changed a lot um so like we're quite desk based now but we didn't used to be right yeah i think you know another big change as well um is that people used to they used to have this big breakfast in the morning to kind of prepare themselves for a hard day of work laboring in the field so that you'd be out you know laboring in the field or you'd be 
you'd be doing a hard physical job essentially you'd be doing sort of manual labor all day maybe you're like spinning cotton or working in a factory or something like that um but the reality is now I mean like most of the day day to day I'm just sitting down I struggle to get my step count in I have to make a, an actual effort to get my step count up and to do some physical activity I think most of our most of the women we work with are the same most people just sit at a desk all day you know but recording this podcast not I'm not moving at all maybe I move my hands a little bit that's about it and then after this what work have I got left I've got emails to answer got more zoom calls to be on but all of this is just very stationary it's not hard work at all so you know if you're thinking during the working week if you are just literally sitting at a desk you need to be more careful about about the choices that you make I mean you don't need like okay let's say I was going to go out and run a half marathon this morning then maybe having a really high carb breakfast would help me it would give me the carbs to sort of fuel me through that intense exercise but to just sit down at a desk that none of that is necessary essentially and you've got to be really careful about those choices and for women over 40 especially around the menopause it's even more important to be careful about those food choices firstly because those hormonal changes women go through can make it easier to gain weight around the middle especially um if you're eating loads of kind of highly processed unhealthy foods and also a lot of these foods which are high in sugar etc can make menopause symptoms worse as well and then you know if you if you that makes menopause symptoms worse affects things like energy levels affects things like mood that can then lead to craving and wanting to have more unhealthy foods and it can be this endless cycle where you eat unhealthy foods it makes you feel bad um and then you eat more unhealthy foods to kind of cope with that and you're just on this sort of roller coaster of, of eating things you don't necessarily want to be eating so we've talked a lot then a lot of uh, about what you shouldn't have how terrible breakfast is what you should avoid and you might be thinking now well what actually can I have if I if I'm not allowed to have or if I shouldn't be having if I should be avoiding things like cereal granola toast pastries breakfast biscuits yogurt breakfast drinks like orange juice what are the actual best choices you can make so Rob like for a modern day working woman in their 40s or 50s what are going to be some of the best choices for breakfast got it so let's let's do some quick fire ideas because we've obviously talked a long time about what not to have I want to give you guys some some things you can actually put into action when you do cut those things out so the first one is very simple but porridge it seems similar to cereal but actually it's very different and I'm sure some people listening already have this, but there's lots of different ways to package it to make it more appealing because just plain porridge is kind of like slop. It's not very inviting. But the reason porridge is really good is, yes, it is a carb source, but it's a unprocessed carb source. Like you could make porridge if we gave you the oat plant. I can't remember if it's called oats. Is it called oat sheaf? Yeah, it's called oat sheaf. We have a pub called that in our town. So if we gave you the oat sheaf, just like the wheat sheaf, you could just take the oats off and it's basically in the form it's in porridge. Maybe it's slightly ground down, which you could whack in your blender, but that's it. It's not bleached like flour. It's not going through all these highly processed, um, highly complicated processes to turn it into the bread or the cereal or whatever it is. So with that porridge, then you've got this unprocessed carbs. It's going to digest more slowly. Your body's going to actually register it. But the best thing you can do is actually combine it with a protein source as well, because there's not much protein in it. But if you combine it with a protein source, that's going to make it really filling. And then ideally, you add that fiber in as well. So the key three we talked about, not too many calories, which it should be fine as long as you don't have a crazy serving, um, enough protein, enough fiber. So a couple of different ways to do this. The first one is just to have some regular porridge and like a protein shake on the side. Protein shakes are completely fine for women. We can do a whole nother episode on supplements, but that's one easy way to do it. Or you can even mix the protein powder in. So a lot of our clients like this, 
um, where you get, let's say, a chocolate protein, you mix it in with the porridge and it adds a nice chocolatey flavor to it. You can even put a piece of dark chocolate in it as well. Put a few flax seeds in there, put a bit of fruit on it, some blueberries, some raspberries. Um, berries are really good, low calorie, high fiber source of fruit. And then you've got a really tasty meal. That doesn't appeal. Another really good one, which I'm going to be making tonight for when I travel. Um, we're going to go to Belfast tomorrow for a meeting um, is overnight oats. So you basically just put some oats in a Tupperware. You soak them in uh, milk. I just use almond milk or oat milk to avoid that dairy. Uh, almond milk to be the lowest in calories. So like a, an unsweetened almond milk. I like to put a few sultanas in there or some berries in there. Again, a really nice one is actually I will do grated apple. And then, so I'll grate an apple in with the oats, put some cinnamon in there, and then a few um, sultanas. And that's like almost apple strudel flavor overnight oats. And that's really filling again. It's really good for you. So those are a few different porridge ideas. And then if that's too complicated, if that sounds like it's going to take too long, you can do it pretty quick and you can batch make overnight oats. But the other thing you could have is a no added sugar muesli. This is not perfect. Yes, there's some dried fruit, which is a little bit processed, but it's still going to be a lot better than any sort of sugary muesli or granola, which has a lot of fat added to it when it's baked. So a no added sugar muesli with a dairy-free milk like almond milk will save you a lot more calories again, and it'll be fairly filling. Now, it's not that high in protein, so ideally combine that with a protein source, whether it's a protein shake, whether it's a, a boiled egg or two. Eggs are a really good source of protein, so try and combine it with some sort of protein source, and then that would be a good choice. So there's a couple of sort of like cereal alternatives. What other things can people go for then? So the next thing you could go for would be like a breakfast smoothie. Uh, there's two kind of ways of doing this that I'd recommend. So the first one would be kind of a, um, almost like a, a protein smoothie. So you could take, I mean, the main thing to focus on again, getting that protein in. So take that protein powder, whatever it is, let's say it's chocolate protein powder. I've actually got unflavored protein powder, which works pretty good in a, in a smoothie. Um, then you can add something like frozen berries again, very low in, uh, in sugar. Um, you could then add some chia seeds or flax seeds, give yourself a bit of fiber and you could top it with almond milk as well. Um, and if you want as well, if you did want to add a bit of carbs in there, you could also put in, I mean, it, the thing with a smoothie is it could be anything you want. Like you could put a banana in there. You could put a few oats in there. You could put literally whatever you want, but you can have a wide variety. You can get in fruit. You can get in protein powder. Those would be the key ingredients, I'd say. Fruit, protein powder, and then around that, just add other things which are going to enhance the flavor. The other type of, type of smoothie you can make would be a green smoothie. So what I tend to do for this is buy um, like frozen spinach from the freezer section of the supermarket. You add in a few cubes of frozen spinach. You then add in some sort of fruit to give it some flavors. It could be banana, it could be frozen mango, it could be some frozen berries. And then a good squeeze of like lemon or lime juice tends to work as well. I find personally with a green smoothie, um, adding in protein powder, doesn't tend to enhance it it tends to make it taste not not the best so i i would say if you're just having a green smoothie for breakfast you also want to think you know what protein source am i having with that as well so it might be that the green smoothie is on the side of another breakfast that you've got which is going to add um add some protein so you're that's almost like your orange juice rather than it's like the orange juice like your drink substitute for breakfast rather than being kind of the breakfast on its own but i mean you could have a green smoothie and then have a protein shake and just have two drinks for breakfast. And that would, it would tick all the boxes. It would tick all the boxes that you need. The other thing you can have though, it's a definitely one that I'd recommend I have very, very often is eggs. So I get through quite a few eggs. So a, one good choice would be an omelet with vegetables. So if you make yourself a nice omelet, you put in, you know, you can put whatever you want in it. Again, you can 
and like the bigger variety of fruit and vegetables you can get into your diet, the better. So you can have an omelette, you could have it with tomatoes and mushrooms, tomatoes, mushrooms, onions. You could put anything into it. You could put spinach into it. You could have put broccoli in it. There's, there's no limit, essentially. You can have whatever you want in this omelette, but that's going to contain protein um, from the egg. It's going to contain fiber, vitamins and minerals from all of those vegetables you're getting in as well. You could also have something like eggs with smoked salmon and avocado. So you're getting in some fiber, some vegetables, some vitamins and minerals from the avocado. You've got eggs in there for protein. You've got smoked salmon in there for some additional protein and some healthy fats as well. You could also make egg muffins. So this is where you take a uh, baking tray, the, the type of tray you'd use to make cupcakes with a little sort of cupcake holes in it. Um, and then you can, you basically mix up eggs with whatever filling that you want and you bake the eggs inside of these little, little muffin muffin pots. I don't know what you call them, muffin <laughs> muffin sort of holders. And you end up with these little egg muffins, which again are good in terms of protein. Um, you can also do egg rolls as well, which is it's very, very similar to an omelet. Um, it took me a while to explain how to exactly make it, but it's like... Um, you basically make a very flat omelette and then you roll that omelette up very carefully. It's quite time consuming, but it's uh, it's very good because you could basically, if you if you whisk up the eggs and you mix in little tiny little bits of chopped carrot, little tiny bits of chopped onions, you could put some parsley or something in there and then you roll that egg up and then you sort of keep filling the gap in the pan with more eggs. So you're, it's like this conveyor belt of egg that you keep rolling up and rolling up and rolling up, but it's, 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 basically like a vegetable omelet. It's another way of doing it. But if you have these number of different options, so if you've got options, for example, everything you said, Rob, overnight, you've got oats as one option, you've got eggs as another option, you've got smoothies as another option, then you're not going to get bored of these healthy choices because you can rotate between these different options on any given day and make sure that you're having something which ticks, again, those two boxes, high protein and high in fiber. So basically containing some sort of vegetables or fruit now the last couple of ideas i want to share are kind of again a little bit well the first one's going to be a little bit more like if it's a weekend you've got a bit more time you might really like a fire and some people are not into a fire that's totally fine you don't need to do this one but if you like a fire that can be a very calorific breakfast as well we didn't really talk about it because most people we work with they're not having a full english every single day but you might have it when you're at a hotel or on a weekend and there's a lot of fat in sausages and hash browns and things like that um, the, the mushrooms could be cooked in loads of fat as well and that means the calories really add up it's not the worst choice because it usually does have a bit more protein as well but if we can kind of reduce that fat content a little bit whilst keeping the protein in that will generally work better and probably save you hundreds if not thousands of calories from that breakfast so you could have like a chicken sausage or get some lower fat sausages like porky lights they're still healthy i think a lot of people have this stigma where they think certain things that are low in fat must be bad for you it really depends on the food choice, but a chicken sausage, chicken is naturally lean or like a porky light. That's still a good source of protein. Or you can have like bacon medallions and eggs. So you like remove the fat bit from the bacon because that's where a lot of the calories are. So you just have the medallions with that egg. So that's kind of a fun one if you like a fire up. I'm a big fan of it. And then you can obviously throw in loads of veg again, just like Ben was saying with the omelets, you can put mushrooms in there. Uh, you can grill a couple of tomatoes. That doesn't make them any more calorific. The other one, which is completely the other end of the spectrum, is coming back to that yogurt bit I talked about before. So you could have like a Greek yogurt or a protein yogurt and berries. This is good if you're short on time. You don't have time to make these eggs-based breakfast or the fry-up type things. Now, again, you need to make sure you're okay with dairy because if you're not, this will really, really um, 
disrupt your hormones a lot more, especially around menopause, and it, you won't feel good. It will really mess up your energy levels and you won't get great results. But if you are okay with dairy, we do a process called the diet makeover at the beginning of our program where we figure this out. What that will do is that will be a good, quick, high protein, high fiber breakfast if you combine that proper Greek yogurt. So like um, total Fahe, I think is how you say it, F-A-G-E or Skia, Skia, I don't know how you say that one. They all have really weird names, um, but the proper Greek yogurt with a good protein content will be a really good start as well if you're okay with dairy. So there's a few ideas. We've talked a lot about concept today, but what could actually change for people if they make these changes then in terms of their food choice, especially around breakfast? So I think the best way to really showcase this is with a just a client, quick client case study. So one of our clients, Emma, she changed her breakfast choices and then she saw amazing results from that. So I'll just read out exactly what she sent us. She said, before starting Trinity, my clothes were getting tighter and tighter and I felt self-conscious a lot of the time. I could feel myself getting bigger during the first lockdown. I ended up about a stone too heavy, squeezing into my clothes. I couldn't work out how to fix it as my weight kept creeping up. I was trying by myself to eat better, but didn't really know what to change. I was doing two hit, hit workouts per week during lockdown and daily walks, but not tracking steps. And it took me a year to join from my first chat with Ben because I was worried that I would fail. So that's talking about joining uh, the Fit Over 40 program there. Then she said, it's my best friend's 12 year wedding anniversary today and I'm over a stone lighter. I've lost 10 kilos, one and a half stone. And this is the lowest weight I've been, not only since joining Trinity, but since I was a bridesmaid 12 years ago. My lunch and breakfast changed forever. So no more granola, no more cheese sandwiches and bags of crisps. They have changed immeasurably that I don't really have to think about it. Being accountable to Rob every week has absolutely been instrumental as he always knows what to say if I'm having a bad week. So obviously that's an amazing result there from Emma. And she obviously put into action some of the stuff we talked about today, but a lot of other things we don't have time to talk today about um, working with your changing body, with your changing hormones in our Fit Over 40 plan. So Ben, if people want to find out more about the Fit Over 40 program that Emma followed to see those amazing results, where is the best place for people to go? So to find out more, the best place to go is head over to www.fit40info.com and you can get all of the full details of the plan that Emma followed on that page. Amazing. So that just about wraps up for today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you next week for another episode. We'll see you then. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Trinity Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows. And also please leave us a quick review. It only takes two minutes. We do all of these shows completely for free to help you. So we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all. So thank you again so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the Trinity Podcast.